You're going to get more info on the coronavirus than you ever have before. Infectious disease expert, formerly of the CDC for over 20 years, calling us from Panama, Dr. Murray Cohn. Hi, Dr. Cohn. Good morning, Doc. Buenos dias, mi amigos. Ah, welcome back to the program. And last time we talked, you gave us an analogy. And with all the, we were looking at the news and the headlines this morning, all the mask this, mask that. What The analogy you gave us last time uh, involved the stick figures. Could you delicately do that again? Why we should wear masks. Why we should wear a mask, because I thought that really laid it out well. Well, okay. Um and my point here is if people really understand the whole, the point, the reason to wear a mask, they'd probably be more likely to do it. I think a lot of this fight is because they just don't really understand. Right. So a friend of mine, I was talking to a friend of mine about it, and he sent me this little cartoon strip and it had uh, three frames of stick figures. And uh, first frame, there's two stick figures, and, and both guys are naked. Okay. And one of them decides. One of them decides he's going to relieve himself on the other guy's leg, and so he does that. And guess what? He's now been exposed to somebody else's unwanted body fluid. Mm-hmm. Second frame, they're both standing there, and the first guy's wearing a pair of pants. The guy urinates on his leg again, and guess what? A little bit might leak through, but mostly he's protected from that unwanted body fluid. The third frame. Both guys are wearing pants. And then when the second guy pees himself, basically, he gets wet and maybe a little bit gets out to expose somebody else, but mostly it's caught in the fabric. That is exactly what happens in wearing masks, cloth masks with two levels, et cetera. You know, it's uh, you want to protect yourself. Okay, how about this then? Let me let me throw this at you because I've read a lot about these cloth masks, and it's just a fabric. It's just it's it's a weave. How big is that? They said that uh, I'm reading here right off. Even the N95 mask filters out particulate matter larger than 0.3 microns. COVID is 0.1 micron. The idea of people doing anything with these masks is Looney Tunes. And that's from Dr. S- <laughs> that's Dr. Scott Jensen saying that these masks, the fa- it's like wrapping yourself in a chain link fence to keep out a mosquito. Well, I, um, I hardly disagree. Okay. And uh, among, among the chapters of my life, I used to be director of the division at, uh, at NIOSH, National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, which mm-hmm. does the testing and certification of respirators. So I know all about that aerosol physics, and I know all about those theories. But I also had time in the hospital infections program where I came to really appreciate some of the differences in the world of infection control compared to the world of industrial hygiene and industrial exposures. So what you read is correct in terms of particle physics. These viruses, you know, the same laws of nature will apply to these viruses. I don't, I don't deny that, but with particulates, something like coal dust or radionuclides, the exposure is cumulative and you can get one today and one tomorrow, one the next day, and then Mm -hmm. you've got three of them in your lungs with viruses. That wouldn't happen. You get one today, one tomorrow, one the next day, you get one three times. 
and you're probably below a minimum infectious dose. So N95s were developed specifically for work in, in hospitals with healthcare workers to be an industrial quality respirator that will protect them because they are going to be in clouds of these virus particles because they got sick people all around them. Uh, they're hard to breathe through. They're okay. hot. Uh, you know, they're really uncomfortable, but, but they're absolutely necessary. Out in the public, you're just not likely to get that kind of an exposure. You're going to have, you know, a casual exposure. So it's going to be much less particles. Plus, we do know it's like the world of hospitals where we have, you know, droplet precautions as opposed to aerosol precautions. A lot of it's just coming out as spit, frankly. It's just direct, you know, wet globs right. uh, with virus. They're heavy. They're too heavy to float around in the air like, like aerosols do, like the dust you see in a sunbeam. Uh, they fall by gravity uh, and stick to whatever they land on, which is why you got to wash your hands in case you're touching some of that stuff. But, but the point is, um, it's just like the pair of pants. You know, it's not, those masks aren't going to catch everything, and they would be useless in a high-concentration viral area like a hospital. But for casual wear, they're much more comfortable, um, and mm-hmm. they're going to do, do some good. Nothing's perfect. Yeah, but I like, to sit in the, I like to sit in the front row and Torg sings karaoke. That's not a good idea? For a lot of reasons, that's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're talking to Dr. Murray Cohn with us. Hey, you know, Doctor, so it, it, so it almost seems like every day there's a study from this university, from China, from this country. This person's saying this, and every day it scares the crap out of you. Should we be, because be, uh, a lot of the studies are wrong, it turns out, but should we be paying attention to these studies? Um, I would say no. Um, and I wish the media wasn't paying attention to the studies and trying to take something in science, which may be a preliminary finding or maybe some you know, Nobel Prize winning finding, but they report everything as if this is the new truth. And the general public you know, doesn't have the, the, the scientific background, frankly, to filter through all that right. out of it. So I understand why everybody's confused. Yeah, I wake up at 4.30 every morning and I start reading all of those papers because that's what I do. But, you know, if I was a broadcaster like you guys, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come on the air and start talking about yeah, it. Yeah. I, would just assim- I would assimilate the new findings into what I already know and see if it means any change in behavior or response. And, and what people, I think, do understand is that, you know, science is an enterprise. It's not, you know, a black and white. You open the box and, oh, there's the answer. It's an ongoing enterprise. And since this is a novel virus, meaning brand new virus, never before seen by the human immune system, we know nothing about it. We knew nothing about it back in December. So we have to learn everything. And there's just a, there's a lot we don't know and a lot that we need to keep learning to really get a handle on this and ultimately solve the problem before we have you know, 50 million infections in this country. Right. And, I, and I, believe we, I believe we will get there. Yeah. We've got a long way to go. In the meantime, we know what to do. We know social distancing and hygiene and some kind of covering of your face. Uh, Dr. Cohen, 
let, let me ask you this, because I know a lot of people that go to the grocery store and you see them with gloves on and they get their items home and they use the Clorox wipes to wipe down the jug of milk and everything they touch and tabletops. And how likely is it that someone would get the COVID particle in their lung from a surface, from a door handle, or is it primarily delivered through, as you mentioned, particles from the mouth? Well, it's, it, they don't inhale from that. Uh, we call it the, uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Oh, I that's a coffee this morning. But doorknobs <laughs> or. We call, we, call surf- it, we call it fomite, fomite transfer. Okay. Where, where you breathe it out, in fact, if you breathe it out, it lands on the doorknob and then you come by and you touch the doorknob and it's still viable and it gets on your hand. And then you touch your eye, nose or mouth. And that's how you get infected. So that's why we talk about the hand hygiene. In terms of coming back from the grocery store and doing all that scrubbing, uh, I say no necesito. That is not necessary. In fact, it might even be worse. (laughs) CDC had a study last week about um, like the mistakes people make in uh, in cleaning at home. And I thought this was going to be some, you know, revolutionary. Okay, let's learn some new specific techniques or some product. No. People were basically drinking the Clorox. I mean, they were, they were washing their vegetables with bleach. Well, Trump is. <laughs> Trump's drinking the Clorox. <laughs> I mean, we wipe down this studio every day per management, and it's not necessary? Well, I wouldn't say that. I would say, um, I don't know about the whole studio. Yeah. But for, insta- for instance, my, my area had his car worked on it. He wanted to know about his car. So I said, okay, you need to wipe down the steering wheel and the door handles. Right. Um. And in the, the longest any, any uh, uh, viral particle could remain viable on those kind of surfaces is about three days. It's, it's really about three hours, but it's been three days. There have been some studies reported up to nine days, and that's just a whole lot of you know, it's kind of technical science I'm talking about that doesn't matter for the regular guys like us. So um, you, need, you need to do that every day because there's going to be people touching and breathing on it all day long. So you're going to have lots of likely exposure of droplets on those surfaces that are touched. So that makes sense. But the stuff from the, from the grocery store, um, first of all, it's not going to stay, you know, if somebody, if a, a worker coughs on it and is infected and puts it on a shelf, how long is it even going to remain viable on that shelf? Maybe three hours. You know, how likely are you going to pick it up, take it home, touch it, you know, put it in your mouth or nose yeah. in that amount of time? Well, the right answer is when you get home and you unpack the groceries, wash your hands. Then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. So yeah. It, really, it really still comes back to hand hygiene, not being all ridiculously nervous about having to disinfect everything around you. Now they're saying that you can get it twice, but I, I, I don't see mass people getting it. Can you get it twice? We don't know. Um, and let me kind of explain the science behind that because it really bothers me. I mean, a lot of the recommendations are saying, oh, we don't know if you've got, you know, if you've had it and recovered or if you've got antibodies in a test, then we don't know that you're immune. Well, that's true. We don't know that you're immune. We don't know how long you would be immune if you are. But here's what we do know. We know that you've been exposed and your body, you know, launched a successful immune response 
and, and you recovered. So if you get exposed again, you're likely going to recover again. So that's good enough for me relative to everything else going on in the world. It's not perfect. I will say some of the earliest studies, and I remember reading one back in, I think it was December. Uh, it was done in a Chinese laboratory with non-human primates, macaques, I think. And they, they gave these monkeys um, uh, COVID-19. Uh, it wasn't really that dangerous infection for them, but they did get infected and they had symptoms. They let them get well. And then they tried to give it to them again. And not a single monkey got reinfected. So that was our first kind of clue that you probably aren't going to get it a second time, or at least not any time soon. Yeah, so it would have to be an issue then. I saw yesterday a coworker texted a story about the false positive antibody test. That's a danger in the sense that there's a... You know, they said it could be as high as 50%, these false positive antibody tests. So then you've got 50% of the people that have been tested think that it's they're safe when, in essence, they're really not. They're walking around thinking they're bulletproof when, in essence, they're not. That's a danger in and of itself. Well, what bothers me about those kind of reports is it's what I call the perfect being the, uh, you know, the mortal enemy of the probably good enough. Uh, there are a range of antibody tests out there. And yes, they have uh, a varying degree of what's called sensitivity and specificity. The likelihood that if you're positive, it tells you you're positive, or if you're negative, it tells you correctly that you're negative. Um, you as a, as a consumer wouldn't really know which test you're getting unless you talk to your healthcare provider and see. Some of them are pretty good. I mean, we're using mm-hmm. one down in Panama that I think is, is really terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, it may, ha- it may have a lot of false negatives, but it doesn't have any false positives. I don't care about false negatives. If you've got antibodies but you think you don't, that's not going to change your behavior any. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Off. You're going sure. to be better off. Sure. You know? um, what you can do, by the way, for somebody who's saying, oh, my God, they're 50% wrong. Well, if you really care, there's several different types of antibody tests. Um, there's there's what's called uh, an ELISA test. There's uh, 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 these specific serology tests that are uh, you know, almost like checking your, your blood sugar. Um, you could get two tests, and the likelihood that two different tests would both be wrong is statistically infinitesimal. Okay. Let's wrap, mm-hmm. let's wrap it up with this, Dr. Cohen. Let's wrap it up with this. So going forward, there's no vaccine yet. We got to learn how to be safe and live with it. If I'm wearing a mask, if everyone's wearing a mask, washing my hands and social distancing, can we have people at a sporting event? Can we have 100 people, 300 people at a wedding if we're doing those three things? Well, doing those three things means we can open up a lot. I'm not sure we can talk about a wedding or a sporting event because there's one more element here, and that's called super spreading. Um, uh, there was a study just yesterday, actually, from Emory University in Atlanta, where uh, 80% of the cases are caused by 20% of the actual infected people spreading. Now, they're not like typhoid Mary. It's not the people that somehow are super spreaders. It's the circumstances. It's the event. It's where you are. It's like the very first case out of Seattle, if you remember, uh, back in in January. It was a church choir that did a practice. And one person was infected, but they were in closed quarters for two hours singing loudly. And then I don't remember how many, but maybe Mm. half of them got infected within a week. Mm. So 
So the reason we still say limit to 50 people is to prevent that super spreader event just in case it would happen. Should be safe enough? Yes. But, you know, you're taking a risk of an awful lot of people, you know, getting sick. Um, and you just got to weigh that risk against the obvious advantages of playing college football. Outdoor safer than indoor? Absolutely. Guess what one of the very best disinfectants that this virus can't stand is? What? Sunlight. Oh, that's good. I'm going to the beach on Friday. God bless you. <laughs> that's, that's okay, but social distance and wear that mask. You got it. Thanks, Dr. Cohn. You're the best, Murray. Thank you guys for what you're doing. I really enjoy it and appreciate you. All right, bye-bye.